talking about uh, uh, what is it? Blaze, being trailblazers. Uh, being trailblazers or leaders for the Lord in different aspects of life. We've been looking at different um, characters from the scripture who had to blaze a trail. Uh, Monday was uh, Jacob. Yesterday was, who was, who was yesterday? Elijah. Elijah. And uh, today will be Daniel and how he was a trailblazer for uh, purity. Uh, Jacob, I mean, uh, Elijah was a trailblazer for, that's funny, they said it all week. Well, uh, the adult one is different, so the kids were focusing in. Focusing in. So Jacob was, was a trailblazer for purpose, and then um, Elijah was a trailblazer for, yes, standing up, uh, commitment. He was, he was a trailblazer for commitment. So now, um, today we're talking about Daniel, and Daniel is a trailblazer or a leader for uh, purity or commitment. So I'm going to take some time to look at Daniel here. Uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 1 and look at some things about uh, Daniel here. Daniel uh, was taken into captivity. Uh, he was within the first group of those who were taken into captivity in 606 B.C. Daniel also was a young man. So he was between the ages of 18 and 20. Now, uh, why would anybody think that part is important, that, that Daniel was a young man? Oh. Is it important that he was a young man? Well, yeah, because he, um, it's important he's a young man because, you know, at, at, at the time, you know how young people are. They don't have their mind, you know, sit on anything like that, you know, their, their mind is like uh -huh. partying. Yeah, old folks do have their mind sit Or they just tired. Well, a lot of them are just tired. <laughs> so their mind still there, they're just too tired to have stuff to think about. So <laughs> but it is uh, because Daniel was facing a lot of the, um, what you would call the youthful lust that we yeah. see uh, Paul writing Timothy about in First uh, Timothy, I want to say chapter Six, so he was between 18 and 20. And that also helps us to understand that it is like people like to, uh, folks often like to talk about um, scripture being irrelevant or not having any, uh, it doesn't apply to people, uh, young people right now. When we're looking at a young man who's 18 to 20 years old, um, he lived in Babylon for a duration of, his, of that captivity. And Daniel would experience a, uh, a series of tests, and we would see it in, like, Daniel and his friends were selected for spirit for special training in verses uh, 1 through 7. Uh, Daniel uh, refuses to defile himself in verses 8 through 16. But then God rewards his faithful servants in 17 through 21. This is all in Daniel chapter 1, verses seven through, uh, 1 through 7, I'm sorry. Uh, Daniel and his friends are selected for spiritual training. And then um, Daniel refuses to defile himself uh, for, by eating from the king's table. And then God rewards their faithfulness. And so then uh, we move on. Let's look at Daniel's example. Uh, Daniel's example teaches us that one 
uh, can indeed survive and thrive. Now, uh, somebody read for me in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 1. Um, and, and, and let's read there from verses 1 and 7. Okay. I'll in the third? Uh, it says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King uh, King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar, so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Verse three. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, I mean Aspenaz, his his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in language and lit literature of, the, of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Ananiah was called Shadrach. Meshach, Mishael was called Meshach, excuse me. Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in, in the light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only, fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered, 
by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the, the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Verse 21, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. All right, so now, when we look at the verses here, we see these three uh, young boys, or four uh, Hebrew boys, and they've been chosen uh, the best out of the best. And as being chosen the best out of the best, they were, uh, from the king's perspective, they were going to be fed the best. But notice that was from the king's perspective. And when we look at what the king was offering from his kitchen, what the kings were cooking up in his kitchen, oftentimes what the king decided and what he decreed would become the culture of the kingdom. So when you have these four boys, they've been brought from their home into this foreign land, into Babylonia, and the king has set the course for the culture. So then when the boys are being commanded to eat of, uh, to eat of the king's kitchens, uh, eat his food and drink his wine, um, the, 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 the boys have to make a decision. And what is the decision that they have to make? That they weren't going to eat from the king's kitchen. Now, if they weren't going to eat from the king's kitchen or drink his wine or eat his food, and remember the king is the one who all the time, um, you know, he made the decrees and the culture kind of flowed down from the king. So that meant that these four boys, by making this decision, they were going to have to go against what? The king, the king and his decrees, which set the culture. He was going to have to go against the culture. Oftentimes, commitment to God, all the time, uh, commitment to God will cause us, will call us to go against the culture of the world in which we live in. We'll have to go against that culture, and it'll be, uh, uh, to some, it'll be considered a very dangerous thing, deadly thing, to, to try to depend on something and somebody you don't see, whereas you have the best of what you can see before you. So the rational mind says, lay your hands on as much as you can of what you can see. Don't trust what you cannot see. But these boys uh, had something beyond what they could see. They had a commitment, a deep commitment. They were of the covenant. They were of the people who had who were in a covenant relationship with God. So they had a covenant relationship. They were had a promise from God. They had His provisions within that covenant. So somebody would say, if you don't eat from the king's table, if you don't partake of this culture, blend into this culture, then what would what would somebody say to them? What might happen to them? Huh? Could have been beheaded. Could have been killed. What else? Be shunned, be ostracized. Um, how, how, how would they make it? Now we're talking about somebody from an outside perspective looking at them saying, how you go? You can't make it here without taking, without accepting from the king. The king and the culture, this world. Remember how Jesus said that we are to be in the world? but not of the world. 
And somebody might say, how can you be in the world and but not of the world and still survive in this world? Well, you do it by committing yourself wholly to the Lord, just as these did. Now, what I also want you to see here is, notice now, um, and as I've always explained to you, God will never ask his people. He never sends his people to do something without providing a way for them to do it. When you look at the text, do you see how he provided it? And what way? He provided for them provisions, like their food, you know, they just had the vegetables. Right, but, but, but even before you get there, because they had a certain, they had dietary restrictions. And oftentimes when we look in the Old Testament, that dietary restriction, um, from a physical standpoint, points to the spiritual reality that God's people were to be set apart. Meaning God's people didn't eat like other people. Didn't do what other people did. They were set apart to rely on his, on his provisions. They did, they did only what he commanded them to do. And he took care of them. So that should also create a foundation for our faith. Meaning anything that God is asking me to do or has commanded me to do, there's no way it's going to fall through. Right? But I, and let me show you. Even before that, it said, what did it say about how the chief of staff, how they viewed these boys? Favorable. Favorable. So God had given the chief of staff, if you will, he had given, he had given uh, a special favor and affection, yes. Right? So here's the thing. And, and I think about this even when it's time, uh, like Sister Jackson, it's time for you to go back to school and start to teach and all these things and the, and the prayer requests that you made. Well, the thing is, all, uh, all that is necessary for you to do is to go on and do the will of God. Don't be concerned about just do God's will. And God has a way of creating special affection. Uh, he'll make his people stand out. Special affection and protection for his. Right? It doesn't mean you go in and just go against rules just because well, God, is, God is with me, so forget y'all. No. The thing is you go in you do the will of God. And you do it humbly. You do it honestly. You do it openly. And God will make sure that those who have any kind of authority to affect your job or your well-being, he will make sure that there's a special affection and a special protection that they feel they need to provide for you. Right? God has the power to do that. So that we don't get intimidated, because yesterday we talked about how the devil, Satan, will use uh, powers of the world to intimidate and discourage God's people. Well, we don't have to be intimidated, nor do we have to be discouraged when we know that God has not only made the command, but he's provided all I need to fulfill the command. If I would just stay focused on the command. We know from Psalm 37 that God never, ever, ever Leaves his, leaves his children uh, forsaken. He never does. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us the same thing. So he gave him a special, he gave them special affection. And you've got to think of it. It was uh, both respect and affection for Daniel. Right? And now not only that, the special respect and affection compelled, the chief of staff compelled him 
to stick his neck out. To literally stick his neck out. Everybody see that? Because he could be beheaded for this. But because of the respect that he had for these boys who belonged to God and the respect and affection God put in them, then you had people who were pagans who were willing to stick their necks out to protect them. Bible tells us in the New Testament how if you just work and, and be focused and, and stay focused on your business, your work, that even, even, uh, uh, even your enemies will come to your defense. Yeah, because of your because of your character, right? There might be somebody who can't stand you. Two people can't stand you, and one of them tries to accuse you of doing something, and that other one will say, okay, you can say a lot of things about this person. But that's one thing that's just absolutely not true. Right? God can make your enemies your footstool. So the thing is, so when we look at Daniel's life, he said, look, it is possible to survive and thrive in a culture that is counter to the will of God. It is possible. It is possible. One can live godly in an ungodly environment, which is what they were in. He was a man, what we find about Daniel is he was a man who was ready for life's challenges. Now, when we talk about that, remember, we open the book. As soon as we open the book, the, 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 the boys are put in, a, they're already being challenged. But remember how we have to learn to reframe things? See, you can look at a challenge and say, woe is me and why me? Or you can look at it as, God is preparing me. He's preparing me. And from jump, he was preparing these boys. He's preparing them. And notice something else, though. Uh, uh, he went ahead and tested them. Now, let me show you. That 10 days, that 10 days, off the time we talk about divine numbers and all of that, and 10 is a divine number. So here's the thing. During those 10 days, I think those boys were tested. Hmm? They, wasn't just, they weren't just tested in terms of, okay, we'll just make sure you get vegetables and water. No, they were tested in terms of sitting around the other children or other young folks and seeing them eat sumptuously, eat the steak, eat the, the lamb, eat all of this kind of, all, all these kind of things. Because you know, only the best comes from the king's table. So you know, during that 10 days, they saw the best going right in front of their faces. They could smell the best. They could smell the best foods being prepared. They could hear them enjoying the best food and hear the laughter from the, the wine and all that stuff that they were drinking. They could hear all of that. And that tested them. But yet, they were going to remain committed. So, yes, ma'am? And that was, I mean, their standard of the best, though. God. But God, well, I mean, the... The world. At the that world. Time, you mean from the king? The, yeah, from his table, what they thought was the best, and what everybody around them thought was the best, but not what you know. God can make anything the best, like right. He did. Right. But, but see, this is vegetables. what they knew as pagans. Right. That's what they I'm knew to be the, the world best. Of that time. Right. And remember, those here in the world will make the things of the world seem like the very best. It'll make you seem like if you're not experiencing this thing here in the world, then you're missing out. 
But these boys said, no, I have something greater. And my commitment is much deeper. And my, my reward is much more fulfilling than that which uh, you guys, because that thing that you guys, that's temporary. They were focused on something that was eternal. What was that? I cracked my neck. <laughs> Heather doing this, I was terrified. And it says, now something else we see about that. He was ready because of his commitment to God. So the thing that prepares us for the challenges, commitment. Right? Commitment to God. Now let's talk about that. A man ready for life's challenges. Now of course, this doesn't mean just a man. This could also be a woman as well. So let's talk about it. Um, Daniel, he was a man ready for the challenges of life because his commitment was early. He had an early commitment. Now what does that mean? That he had been prepared to, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say. That, that his, his, he had been prepared by, I suppose, family, like uh, Timmy was prepared, you know, with his grandma and Eunice. And, and uh, as he's been prepared. Mm -hmm. He's been prepared, yes. Other than that, he was young, as you pointed out earlier. He was young, yes. Maybe after he um, came to faith, that's when at the right at the beginning jump on the jump of his faith, he just took it from there that you know I'm gonna be serious from the beginning to the end. Okay, now remember this about the the Hebrew they were about covenant. Hebrews. Yeah. They were born yeah. into uh, they were born into this covenant relationship, yeah. but also they were educated from very young in their history in the Word of God. They were they were educated. Um, so they were being prepared for this eventuality. And what I need you to see is when these boys, as soon as these boys were born, God could look down the stream of time. And he knew challenges that they were going to have to face. Understand for you, for me, for everybody, God has looked down the stream of time. And he knows the specific challenges we're going to have to face. And because he knows the specific challenges, that, and some of them which are maybe unique to you, unique to me, because he knows them then for a, for, for a specific problem, he tailor makes a solution. That's how, he, prepare, that's how he, he prepares us, right? And it says up here, it says in Daniel 1 verse 4, young men in whom, were, in, in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So now, also sometimes when um, when they would capture other when they would capture other empires, they would take the very best. They would take the very best of their empire. They would take the very best and put them in the king's service. Now, what was one of the reasons for that? They thought they were stronger. Mm -hmm. more, they thought they were more. They were stronger and more capable, more skilled. Okay, so why would the king take them and put them in his service? Yes. Because the king uh, always wanted the very best. Mm -hmm. Thought that he was entitled to have the best. Uh -huh. And let's think about it this way. Let's say I capture an enemy, right? And I want to exterminate them. I don't want them to rise again. Well, wouldn't it make sense for me to take off the very best, their best thinkers, their best workers, the best looking? Wouldn't it make sense for me to take them from 
to take them and convert them to my service rather than letting them to letting them remain in their land. To weaken to empower to weaken his adversary. Exactly. To weaken the adversary. Right? So the, you didn't have to necessarily kill them off. You just bring them in and defy them. You defy them and get and get them acting like Babylonians rather than Hebrews. And so then you don't have to worry about this 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 Hebrew faith with these Hebrew these, this, this God, this monotheistic God, this teaching of it, you don't have to worry about that spreading to another generation because you can exterminate it right now. So in later years, they, won't, uh, they couldn't, uh, I guess, see their, you know, see their kingdom, you know, if you bring them up and... They'd be so convoluted by that time. Yeah. You bring them to Babylon, they intermarry, they mingle, the, pure, the more they mingle, the less purity they have. And so, and the less focus they have on God, the farther they get from God. You see? And so then you so then you're able to you're able to stunt the growth of the people. Just like that. And so look at here. When you look at these things here, these are all things that Satan will use to stunt the growth of God's people. You know why? Because he'll use these things to appeal to your ego. Appeal to your arrogance, meaning like uh, they had no blemish, they were good looking, they were gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand and had the ability to serve in the king's palace. They had all these things, right? But these, they came to understand that they wouldn't have these unless who? Unless God preserved them, unless God put it there, they wouldn't have these things. But when you don't think properly, then what do you think? Somehow from you that you did it. Yeah, this is from, from me, by me, for me. So you use all these blessings for your, for your, for your will. And the funny thing is when we start to use the, 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 the funny thing oftentimes when we start to use the blessings and the attributes and gifts that God has given us for our own benefit, you ever notice how, how fast they diminish? Hmm. Get run down, wore out, right? And then now let's look at his early commitment. He was a young man who remembered his creator. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, remember the creator in the days of your youth, right? It says, like Joseph before him, like Timothy after him, he was a young man who stood by his godly convictions, because he was willing to stand up. It took courage for him to stand up against the chief of staff and the one who was appointed over him and say, listen, I understand what you, what you, what you need for us to do uh, based on what the king says, but here's what we must do. Will we obey God? We must obey God rather than men. Notice that he did not leave God when he left home. What's the key there? It was well, it was ingrained in him to not separate himself from God. Many people, many young people, uh, their faith has only been based on their parents' faith and what their parents brought them up in. And oftentimes, as soon as, and remember that, they learned everything in that home, good or bad. So then the first moment they get out of the home, then whichever one of those, whichever 
whichever one of those was fed the most is going to be the one that overtakes them. Right? And Bible says, because the word won't depart from them. But they may attempt to depart from the word. Yes? You can also see uh, how, how ingrained that they were in the word because uh, they, they were to be trained in the, in the house before they went to the king court for three years. Three years all that, you know, they've only been taught the language and the mm -hmm. culture. And uh, for three years, they was, you know, uh, I guess you want to say under submission to that. Mm -hmm. But they never did uh, depart, even though these were young men, you know. They, they were steadfast in their faith and right. their trust in God. They went in there, they did their lessons, they did the things that they were supposed to do, yeah. learned the things they were supposed to do, but never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> gave up. That first teaching, that first commitment, that first faith. Because that was their foundation. That's important. And so we have a lot of young people, once they grow up, they depart, right? Which is why, you know, sometimes that's why uh, Sister Newsom was always grinning. Because she could look up and see that her children are still sticking with the faith. And not only are the children, look like the grandchildren trying to hang in there too. Any parent, that's a feather in any parent's cap. When they can say, I've taught, and they've carried it on, and they've remained faithful, and now they seem to be standing on their own. They're not being forced to go. They're choosing to go on their own. I wish y'all could have saw little Rhea last night when she was leading the class, and she was like, can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> she was doing it. Uh, it, 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 was, it was funny, you know, and, and, and that's another thing, you know, since you can think about the fact that, that as uh, Sharia didn't call him brother, brother's been here two nights in a row. I know you heard about that, Sister Newsom, right? Yeah, been here two nights in a row, and last night came and snatched his son up because his son wouldn't participate in what we're doing. He snatched him up and threw him to me. I called him and said, all right, we're going to work with him. <laughs> And I'm saying that when you think, does that do something for you as a parent and a grandparent? What, what, does, that, what does that do for you? It makes me desire to be even a better example in the Lord from them. Right. It teaches them you know, more about the Word and encourages them in the effort in you know, That's right. That's right. And they have, they're being tested on all sides in the world. And even some of their own relatives and cousins, some of them aren't remaining as faithful. But they're saying, I'm going to stick in here with the Lord. And notice what she says, because it's reciprocal. So notice, by seeing them do it, it encourages her to get deeper into it. So that God can continue to dispense wisdom and knowledge from her. Right? So for those who have those children who have continued, um, and, and the thing is, long as they're living and breathing, there's still always a chance that they can become faithful. There's always a chance. But that means something, right? And that's part of what drove, uh, drove you, Heather, to make sure that you didn't repeat, right? Mm -hmm. What drove you to do that? To repeat what I did with my first child? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, what 
my change um, when I realized what, how I was living. And I grew up in the church and I still always went to the building and participated in things, but my life um, did never, never really change a whole lot. Um, so then I realized the things that I was doing, how it impacted my son's life and how he followed my footsteps, um, my first one. So then I decided I had to change it for Caleb. So I had to change what I was doing in order to hopefully, prayerfully, let him, you know, see that that was what was going to be beneficial for him as well. Right. Notice again what she did. Reflection was first right here. Right? It was right here. And notice she said, he's following my footsteps. Yeah, I was going to the building and all of that, but my life didn't reflect it. Didn't reflect the faith. And so now how he's living is a reflection and, and, and part of how she lived at the time. Right? But she says, you know what? There's another one, and I'm not going to repeat that. I'm going to make sure he has an environment that is conducive to his spiritual well-being and growth. You know? And, and, and you got to do that. And, and one thing she wants to do is be able to do that for her, grand, for her granddaughter, which there's a set of challenges that are put in the way. But God can make a way. Right? And so that, that's very important. And so we got to make sure that those godly convictions are set in stone right now. So that even when they leave home, they don't leave God. They take God with them. Right? Then it says, he did not try to blend in with, Babel, with the Babylonian lifestyle. What's that mean? He didn't conform to their way. He didn't conform to the ways, Right? Now, it, 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 it's a shame that you should seem, it's a shame that you should seem more original nowadays walking around with nothing in your face. You understand what I mean by that? Without your face all pierced up. Because people were doing that at one point thinking, I'm just expressing me, I'm doing me, I'm being original, right? But then you see one, you can see 10 others doing the same thing. And now it seems more original to see somebody with a face that has nothing in it. You see, I'm not talking about women with the earrings and all that, but I'm talking about, you know, in the lip and all that kind of stuff, the through the cheekbones, all that kind of stuff. Or, or, or even when it comes, you know, when it comes to a number of different things, being just blending in with the lifestyle, whether being in, at the every party, every bar, every this, every that, just being blend, just blending in. He never ever tried to blend in. Because something about his conviction wouldn't let him do it. Yes. And that's the thing, like it's the world tries to everything that becomes a trend is supposed to be something that is different and something that is making you stand out, but you don't end up standing out, you end up being like everybody else. So that's, that's the trick in it. And that's the Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? right? Be because those who are born of God, they must be children of transformation. They must be transforming, examples of transformation. So what we see here is they didn't try to blend in with the Babylonian lifestyle because they were born, they, 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 they were taught and they were born to conform to transform, to let that change take place within. Remember how we talked about uh, the, 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 the change of a name? Change of a name indicated what? Change. 
changed God. Look, what are you going to say that you changed the name? Right? <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, okay, because you've been transformed. You have been transformed. When they changed the name, that was the indication of a deeper transformation, transformation like it was for Jacob, right? So notice how, how deep were, how, how deep was the king trying to reach into them to change them? Because didn't he change the names? He changed the name. So the, the, he, was trying to, he was trying to bring about a complete change. He was trying to change them and convert them completely to the ways of Babylon. Trying to get them to conform. Okay, even the food. Uh, right, right. What they ate. Yeah. Right, what they ate. Yes, yes. So the thing is he was trying to get them from within to change. But now when a child comes from God, they, they, are, they are born with this first thing. Taught from, from birth that you are to transform rather than conform. And you don't conform to keep up with the world. You transform because you've been translated. Huh? You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So this kingdom has no hold on you because you are a part of a greater kingdom. A greater master. And so it goes, and it should sink so deep into, that is why it's so important that we make sure that the children are in, they're in every, in new converts too. They have to be in every class. They have to be in, they have to be taught this foundation. Because remember, the moment they become a new convert, Satan turns up the heat, and he wants them back. So what, we, what do we have to combat that? Only the word of God. So if they're not getting a constant diet, steady diet of the word of God, it's only a matter of time before they fall back. They're going to fall back. Same thing with the children. They're going to fall back because they're not getting a constant, a constant diet of it. Right? Yes? Yeah. Uh, just one. The Jewish uh, uh, community, the Jewish people, their children are, are taught from birth. Right. You know, they're, they're called uh, culture is being instilled from them when they go the big kids. So, no wonder that Daniel and these three boys, you know, uh, did not conform to what, you know, uh, to the king and his culture because, you know, this was instilled from them from birth. Of course, they, like you said, they went ahead and did what they're supposed to do uh, with that, but by it being so in ingrained in their, in their, you know, in their mind from 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 what they was taught, mm -hmm. that they knew all this stuff was wrong and whatever they were trying to do to them was going to defile. Right, and that doesn't mean that every every Hebrew child went the right path. Well, no, I'm not saying some, I, I, know, I know, but I'm okay. just saying the fact is not every Hebrew child took the proper path. Right. But for those who did, it's because they were educated and it was ingrained in them early, even those who come up in the church. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be taught consistently from birth. Yes? I think it also is um, part of, it's, it's the desire, I guess, as well. Because me, my siblings and I were all taught the same, um, and we all have, mm, I'm the only one that still is in. <laughs> 
But I think that desire has somewhere to come along to want you to understand and to believe and to trust that what you're learning is true and that you you want to do the what des- it is. The desire has to be developed. And so the thing right. is, so the thing is, um, um, like I just said, not all Hebrew children were going to take the right path, right? Some were going to rebel. That's just what they were going. They, they were going to rebel. But there are some who, who the thing is, you know, how children are. Children are open and they, they, they're curious about everything. But so the thing is that 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 curiosity has to be developed in them. They have to be prepared so that when that, because that desire is going to rise in them at some point, and so it has to have something to latch on to. Right? And so then that goes back to how were they being educated, not just at the building, but in, but in the home, in the family, by what people say, the conduct, and how people treat one another. See, those things right there, if they're counter to the will of God, can kill the desire. Can you see that? Because there might have been some things that didn't kill your desire, but killed theirs. You know? Right, but yep. we have the same stuff. You were all taught the same. But affected differently by what you saw. Now you might have had a stronger resolve in some areas, whereas they did not. And when they saw that, it frustrated, discouraged them to the point where the desire was gone. And that can happen, you know. Because guess what? Even though we all grew up together, we wasn't around each other a hundred percent of the time. No, absolutely not. I mean, I know, like we had to come, we had to do Bible studies every day, and we went to, you know, Bible study on Wednesdays. We're at um, Sunday school and all that. Um, but I did look at how my mom was, how she, I guess, her, her response to things. And so I guess they looked at it a different way than what I, how I looked at it. Right. Even though we're getting the same thing. Right. And so it affected you differently. You see, it, might, it still had an effect, right. but the effect wasn't perhaps as great. Now, the reason why she says her mother, because at the time, her mother was married to a man who was not a Christian. He became, became, but started, he wasn't in the beginning. And see, here's the thing with that. Even if he became, whatever it was in her that led her to make that decision, it's still in her. Right. Right? And so the thing is, so, so again, all talk the same, but how, how, what we were affected by can be different. So, I mean, that's a great, it's a good example. And like I said, you had to develop a, a stronger resolve to see past. That and it might have taken you some time, but you had to, right? And so then we see that this young man was he. he this man, this young man, he was a young man with a decided advantage over late starters. He had fewer wasted years to regret and more time to develop spiritual strength. You see that? When it says fewer wasted years to regret, what does that mean? What what is the importance of that? Can regret slow down your growth? Yeah. And what? what? It stunts you, and you can become stuck in um, what I didn't do, what I should have done. Um, guilt. Absolutely, that guilt will ride you to the ground. What I should have done, what I didn't do. But look, you're still living, you're still breathing. God's still in His heaven. He's still working, so you still have an opportunity. To make good, right? But you cannot get stuck in regret. 
once you look back and you've made, tried to, try to make peace with that past and peace with those who your lack of commitment might have hurt, now you've got to put all your energy and focus all your energy on going forward. Right? You cannot get stuck in these years of regret. Look at Paul. Paul was grown when he became a Christian. Right? And he looked back and it scarred Paul. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It scarred him to the point where he called himself the chief of sinners. Now, was he really the chief of sinners? No. But in his mind and in his psyche and how it hurt him and depressed him and brought him down, it, 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 he, he kept that with him. But also he used it to compel him to go forward. So then we look here. Paul's the most prolific writer in the New Testament. He wrote, he wrote 13 books. And he said, I've I, I lost a whole lot of time, but I'm going to spend the time from day one making up for lost time. Yes? Looking back can also be, I guess you say, a barometer in your life as you go forward because you can see the, see the mistake that you made then uh, and you can, you know, reason with yourself like, well, I'm not going to do that again. You know, I've been there and done that, you know. So yeah. you can also, instead of being depressive, looking back at your mistake and it also make you move forward. Yes, if you reframe it and see, yes. this is teaching me not to go that route again or cross that bridge again or think like that again. See, so by having an early commitment, it gives you more time. The earlier the person or the child or whoever is committed, the more time they have to develop spiritual strength. Because remember, God is preparing you. Right? Then we see this. Daniel's commitment was complete. In Daniel 1 verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the, of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Right? And so then he says it was complete, meaning he reflected in all, his, his commitment was reflected in his outward conduct, Proverbs 4, verse 23 and 23, verse 7. So his, his motive to, 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 live, to live and be com completely uh, dedicated was his motive was deeper than merely trying to impress other young men. Did we find some people being right just to impress others? And that's false. <coughs> because it's, it's surface. It's not true. And then there's a deeper motive than to merely show defiance to captors. What's wrong with being, what's wrong with being, um, uh, what's wrong with your motive being, I'm going to be committed just to just to show my captors they won't conquer me. What's wrong with that? It's not arrogant. You said what? It's arrogant. It's arrogant. What did you say? It's just not truth. It's not showing what it. You're you're not truly changing. It's not for the right thing. You're doing it for somebody else. You're doing it for someone. The purpose of doing this, I am committed, and it's showing me my outward conduct because I am committed first and foremost to God. I do this to please Him, not to get something from Him. I do it to please Him because of how kind He's been to me. Is that Proverbs four twenty three? Four twenty three and twenty three verse seven. 
Then it says, he reflected uh, by being unmoved by the pomp and power of the royal palace. Could that have thrown him? Because you know the palace, you know, you've seen some of the, you've seen just the mere ruins of some of these palaces. Imagine what they looked like when they were newly built. Imagine the majesty and having the best of the best. He never compromised for temporary advantages or ease. Always, he was always aware of a greater presence. Somebody read that uh, Daniel 2, uh, 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. All right, and notice, what he said was, there is a God in heaven. You must always be aware of the greater presence, right? And I know another young fellow who did the same thing. If you turn to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11. I will see what this um, young fella did. If I could ever get to Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11. And if we'll read right there. Um, I want you to pick up, read somebody, pick up reading uh, right there in verse, oh, we should just read that one. But, so I start reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 for me. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the truth of what is not seen, for our ancestor warned God through the Bible. By faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gift and even though he, he is dead, and even though he did, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not experience death, and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and reward those who seek him. Now, now faith, and a definition of faith would be a resolute belief that something good is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, now, now that's how some view faith, and others look at faith as, as, as a, 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 if you will, a blind leap against known facts. But now, when we're talking about biblical faith, and I want you to drop down to verse uh, 23 for me. It involves it involves a confident a confident action in response to what God has made known. So so when you talk about biblical faith, what does God say? Now, can I move confidently on it? Yes, I ought to be able to because He said it, and He's never come up short. So let's see how faith comes into action, right? Read Hebrews uh, eleven twenty three. By faith, 
after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king, uh, did not fear the king's etiquette. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the, trees, than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king, king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invincible. In, yeah, invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. Now, now, now look at this. Uh, read that part right there in verse 27. Read it again, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. But Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. All right, see that right there? Seeks him who is invisible. When we look at what that says there, always aware of a greater presence. So he had the anger of the king right here. Right? But above him, he had the presence of the almighty king. Hebrews tells us to keep our eyes on the author and finish of our faith, which is Christ Jesus. It says that in Hebrews chapter 12. So we see things here. We acknowledge what's happening here. But we look above it, look beyond the hills, from which cometh our help. And our help cometh from the Lord. Right? So, so again, yes, this power, this pump, all this stuff that's right here in front of us. But we look beyond that. That's what Daniel did. He had to look beyond that. And by doing that, that, that allowed him to not be afraid. It said about Moses, he was not afraid. He was not afraid because he looked to the one to whom the, the world sees as invisible. But to him, he's very much visible. Can you think about Stephen? What do you think, the, what do people see? When, when, imagine Stephen. What did they see when they were stoning him? What was the picture of that? What did they see? What did that look like? What did the one that was stoning him? Yeah, the ones who were stoning him. What did it look like? They looked like he was uh, defiant, you know, against them. That's a good one. Looked like he was just simply being defiant. Right? And imagine he's beaten, he's battered, he's bloody. They're hitting him with rocks. And somehow... Being hit with rocks, bloodied and all this, and in pain, they see him doing this. Now they're all looking. They can't see. But he's looking toward glory, right? And what he sees, none of them can see. What he sees is heaven open up. And he sees, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of his father. Huh? So what he sees is bringing him comfort. It's making him more confident. He, what he sees is Jesus standing up in a space, ready for action to come to rescue his. That's, 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 that's me. He's being persecuted. He and I are one. And the way they're treating him, they're treating me. He has stood up and he's ready to move on his behalf. So they don't see it. So they think, oh, he must be crazy. Right? Can't he see he's being battered and bruised and being destroyed? Why isn't he unnerved? Why isn't he falling apart? Why isn't he filled with anxiety? Because what he sees is so much greater and so much more comforting 
than what's taking place here. Isn't that something? And see, for Christians, it should be the same way. All this stuff going on around you. Why aren't you this way? Why aren't you that way? Why aren't you shook up? Why aren't you, now, why aren't you all these kind of things? Because I can see beyond the horizon. I can see above the fray. You know? What? You know what fray? A flies on my head? <laughs> and see, it's the thing. And, and one of the most beautiful things that I, I, I always liken it to is when you, if you've ever flown on a plane, and when you take off, how cloudy and rainy it might be, it might even be snowy, whatever it is. But as soon as you break that cloud line, it's nothing but just blue, just pretty and blue. Those soft white clouds, almost like you could step out and walk in. Isn't that something? I don't know how people get up there and get scared. Huh? I'm just so scared. No, you're scared of not having control. Because what I picture in my mind when I'm in that plane, I picture this, this grand hand that's making this plane fly and it's going to make this plane land if it is his will. So whether I stay in the air or whether I fall, either way I'm still in his hand. See, like we used to sing the song, the safety in the hollow of his hand. That's important, is it not? And that should create some kind of commitment and, and confidence, right? And since he reflected by accepting risk and not conforming, um, he risked special treatment. Um, he risked special treatment that that select a select group have, and he risked life. And it was cheap to the pagan kings. What did life mean to the pagan kings? Nothing. They were sacrificing people. Right? And he, and he also risked his special treatment. You know, sometimes when we get in a position where we're getting some special treatment on the job, we're getting some, you don't want to risk that. You're going to mess up my stuff right here. Right? I want to mess up mine. He said, you know what? What did we just read about Moses? He gave that up. He would rather suffer with the people of God. Let me suffer with God's people rather than have comfort among those who reject him. I'll suffer with them. Because by suffering with them, I have him. Right? And then, and then we go on. This is the last right here at the end. It says his, his commitment was lasting. Uh, Daniel one twenty one says, Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So now this, this, this part here, it says, As an old man, about 90 years old, we find that Daniel was still faithful and strong. When I was reading, when I was studying this, I, I got to I got to thinking about uh, those who are seasoned, uh, who are seasoned in the faith, and I got to thinking about I got to thinking about um, I was thinking about Sister Riley and how she brought Sister Haynes, and and, and, and I was like, wow, still hanging in, there. huh? And moving around uh, on the power and the strength that God provides. Right? And, and, and notice that there's a reason why he went to the, to, to the year of King Cyrus. Look, he said the years of struggle had not worn him out. Right? I might be battered, but I'm not, but I'm, but I'm not beat down yet. Huh? I'm not worn out. I'm not through. I'm still here. Right? And then it says, years of service prepared him for the lion's den. Notice, Daniel didn't go into the lion's den until he was an old man. Huh? In this world, 
when you get old, they think that's the end. But with God, that can be the beginning. Because how old was Joshua when he took the people over to the promised land? 84 years old. Yeah, and then we see this. Uh, uh, let's look at, it says here, the test of the lion's den. This came about because of the jealousy of the wise men and the, the, the decrees of Darius. It came about, uh, or Darius, Daniel gave, and, and they're also jealous because Daniel gave thanks before his God. Also, because Daniel is delivered from the mouth of the lions. And the decree of Darius praises the living God. Now, what I want us to see there, or discuss there, is can we end up, can we end up in the same predicament? You would wonder, how can folks be jealous of an old man? You know why? Because God's, because God's favor never ages. God's favor is fresh. It's new all the time. God's favor is always bringing new things about. Yes. And again, the king was um, had a special uh, feeling or fervor for Daniel, and he even fasted and prayed for him because he knew that Daniel was special. Yeah, the king even still had that special respect and affection. God will make sure because people know. When I was a little boy, there's a picture up there, and uh, my mother had this real big Bible. Like those big Bibles you put on the table, you open them to one page, and they'd be on one page for 15 years, and then after, on the sixth, you turn the page. But the thing is, she had a big old Bible, and I remember I was seeing there this same picture of Daniel standing in front of the lions. And I was always wondering, why is he so old, and why is he so. So, so broken down. I mean, he seems very old here. But see, now that I, now I understand. Because see, only, uh, only to my eye was he old and weak and feeble. Only to my eye, the carnal eye. But in the spiritual sense, he was much stronger. He had something much stronger that was protecting him, that was guiding him, that was, that was giving him confidence. And so we need to see him as weak because we learn from Scripture that in my weakness, thou art strong. He didn't need to have his own muscle because maybe he might have been tempted to depend on his own muscle. He didn't need to have all the things that the, that the young people have. Because young people are tempted to try to take matters in their own hands like Jacob. But he was an old man by this point. He said, ain't no sense. Ain't no sense in me trying to fight because I don't have the strength. Ain't no sense in me run, running because I don't have the speed. There's no sense in that. I spent my whole life trusting. Why stop trusting now? And those lions could represent health issues. Those lions could represent family problems. They could represent relationship problems. They could, relate, they could represent mental problems. Anything that's stirring, that's what those lions can represent. But the Bible says because Daniel trusted, because Daniel trusted God, he shut the mouths of these hungry lions. Because guess what? They had starved those lions. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. They starved them so that they would be, I mean, their, their appetites would be voracious. 
But God has a power over nature, over all things. And he can bring even the worst of adversaries to a halt. Yes? Then um, Daniel didn't get killed, but the other people that went in there, they got torn up to kill. <laughs> yeah, because notice how those who plotted, remember, oftentimes you got people plotting against you, working against you. You don't have to get engaged in that silliness, that foolishness, because God has a way of dealing with them. So what do we find out? Once Daniel comes through it all, the king is like, see, all the, I see all y'all for what y'all are. And then through them to the lions. See, don't you end up in the mouth of the lions by taking matters into your own hands and trying to fight in a way that you can't fight. No, 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 no. You let God feed them lions. Let him feed those lions. And then, as an old man, he could look back over a life of spiritual growth. Now, look, it says, by the time, look, by the time uh, he needed to refuse the king's food, he had the character that was needed. By the time uh, he needed to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he has the wisdom that was needed. By the time it was needed to interpret the handwriting on the wall, he had gained the reputation that was needed. By every benchmark, God made sure he had what he needed to do what God wanted him to do. Isn't that something? By the time he needed to face the lions, he had the fortitude that was needed. You know what fortitude is, don't you? Intestinal fortitude. And able to look trouble, look a difficult situation in the face, and still be steadfast. Because by the time you're old, you've seen a few things. And there's not much that can move you or scare you. You've been through some things. So you can look at this next thing and say, I have a whole life to look back on where God has delivered me. What, why won't he deliver me now? And if he doesn't, I will still know to the death that he's able. Right? Huh? And, and, then, and then by the time he needed to help deliver the Jews, during the reign of Cyrus, he had the influence that he was needing. By staying faithful, God gives you everything you need. Right? Uh, and, and then his, his commitment was lasting. So you see the, po the power of a lasting commitment there? By staying steadfast and unmovable, you get all the things you need for each and every hurdle. That commitment was early. Right? The commitment was early. That commitment was complete. And that commitment was lasting. So uh, that, that's kind of like what we're going to talk about.